getting ready to do a workout in the yard and went to the carport where there was my tool shed and looking for my handy electric weed eater. This is the, the uh, wireless type, no cords, chargeable. And I looked and there was no weed eater. I thought, well, this is unlike me not to put it back into the recharging unit. So I started looking around in the various uh, part of the tool shed and there's no weed eater. I thought, what could have happened? Seeing how it was nowhere where it belonged and it was not out in the yard, I came with the conclusion that someone has stolen my weed eater. You think, well, this is crazy. At the time I lived out on the road, uh, right there on the highway, anybody could have driven by and seen me use this and, and put it back. And, and uh, as I thought through these things, I had a mixture of feelings. I had uh, one, I felt, you know, someone's invaded my land, my spot, my, my house. And then I, I got angry. You know, they stole my weeder. Why did they steal my weeder? And I, and, and I would just, I grew in my anger about this. And, and my one consolation was, well, you know what? Those folks, they weren't very bright because they didn't steal the recharging unit. And I had satisfaction knowing that they only had an hour or two of good weed eating. That's right. These thieves are not always bright. And, and that was my consolation. But I was dealing with this, this anger and, and this, you know, it was a sin done to me, but it was no great sin. And I struggled with this. I thought, you know, how, how can I get back? I thought, you know, this person must know me. They know I have one of these. Maybe what I'll do is I'll talk about it from the pulpit and do a, a stab at them, you know. Assuming they even heard me. Uh, yeah, I was just trying to figure out, what, what can I do? And I thought, I don't know who they are. And that made it worse because then I could demonize them. I thought, well, maybe I'll just try to, to think that this person, whoever it is, maybe they have some good qualities. And I, I try to counsel with myself because I didn't like the anger I was feeling. And so I was like, what's my strategy? What's the counsel I can have to, to keep from feeling this way? And I thought, well, maybe they just have some redeemable qualities some good things about them. And they're not all that bad. The problem is that I didn't know who they were. And so in my mind's eye, my imagination, I, I counted them as evil beings indeed. And I couldn't get past it. You're sitting there with well, pastor. <laughs> that's no big deal. Well, it's, it's not in the grand scheme of things. But you know what? When someone steals your stuff, it doesn't matter how big it is. It, it's, it seems big to you, you know. But it was in this story that God taught me a few things about forgiveness. And that's why I bring it out. Uh, there have been some things done worse to me since that point. And I'm sure there'll be many more worse things done. Sins of other people that I will deal with and that you will deal with. Undoubtedly, I, I am not surprised at all when you have a, a group like this. I've been in this long enough to know that there's some of you dealing with stuff right now that is cruel. Some of you have childhoods that your parents abused you in, in terrible ways. Some of you have siblings that did that to you, betrayed you. Some of you are dealing with uh, the, the fact that someone has made up lies about you at work and falsely accused you and has underhandedly dealt with you and pushed you out of your work or out of even your income. 
and your nest egg has been taken from you because of the schemes of others. Some of you are dealing with the attacks of others. Undoubtedly, some have had to deal with rape and murder of others. Some of you are dealing with divorce, betrayal, and someone leaving you, and you're dealing with that. There's all kinds of sins of others that, if we're not careful, will become our identity. Something we never get behind, get past. And so it's for this reason that I wish to talk a little bit more about forgiveness. We addressed the subject last Sunday as we were studying the book of Genesis. We've come to Genesis 45. And in that chapter, we've come upon a beautiful expression of forgiveness. As, as we've looked, especially in the first seven, eight verses of this chapter, what we find is the reconciliation of Joseph with the brothers, but was born first out of the heart of forgiveness given to Joseph. You need to know in your mind, you need to separate the difference between forgiveness and reconciliation. They are two different things. And before there's reconciliation, there must be forgiveness and there must be repentance before there's reconciliation. And we saw how in chapter 44 that Judah did a wonderful expression of repentance and that uh, was what prompted this uh, revelation of Joseph and also the expression of forgiveness there that's given to them. Uh, But before there's ever repentance, you need to know that there can be forgiveness. Uh, There can be forgiveness that is born in your heart, though that person does not repent. It doesn't necessarily mean that you express that forgiveness to them or need to, but forgiveness is there in your heart. And that's what has happened with Joseph. And so at the moment of repentance, there was a likewise instantaneous response of forgiveness because the forgiveness had been in Joseph's heart long before. Now, we had uh, learned a couple important lessons there that I think that nah, we probably need to focus on a little bit more. Give you two, a couple more lessons of, of forgiveness that is there. Uh, I'm going to look at not only chapter 45, but I'm going to ask that we skip ahead in verses, uh, chapter 50, verses 15 through 20. And so what I'm going to do is, if you will read with us, we'll read first uh, chapter 45, verses uh, 1 through 8. We're not going to read the whole chapter because we did that last week. And then we'll skip ahead to chapter 50, verse 15 through 20, and learn more about this issue of forgiveness. So if you'll stand with us as we read together Genesis 45. At the words of repentance given in the previous chapter, we find verse 1. Then Joseph could not control himself before all those who stood by him. He cried, make everyone go out from me. So no one stayed with him when Joseph made himself known to his brothers, and he wept aloud, so that the Egyptians heard it, and the household of Pharaoh heard it. And Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still alive? But his brothers could not answer him, for they were dismayed at his presence. So Joseph said to his brothers, Come near to me, please. And they came near, and he said, I am your brother Joseph, whom you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. For the famine has been in the land these two years, and there are yet five years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvest. And God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to keep keep alive for you 
many survivors. So it was not you who sent me here, but God. And he has made me a father to Pharaoh, and lord over all his house, and ruler over all the land of Egypt. We'll skip to chapter 50. You just need to know that as we flip these pages, 15 years are passing with the turning of the page. Jacob's father is now dead. And the brothers are afraid that with the death of their dad, maybe vengeance will come. So verse 15, Genesis 50. When Joseph's brothers saw that the father was dead, they said, It may be that Joseph will hate us and pay us back for all the evil that we did to him. So they sent a message to Joseph saying, Your father gave this command before he died. Say to Joseph, Please, forgive the transgression of your brothers and their sin because they did evil to you. And now please forgive the transgression of the servants of the God of your father. And Joseph wept when they spoke to him. His brothers also came and fell down before him and said, Behold, we are your servants. But Joseph said to them, Do not fear, for am I in the place of God as for you? You meant evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. So do not fear, I will provide for you and your little ones. Thus he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. You may be seated. I think that as we talk about forgiveness, it's uh, something that needs to be repeated in our life. I take comfort in in the words of Jesus himself, the example of Christ when he was teaching on the Sermon on the Mount. He gave the, the manner of how we should pray, what we know as the Lord's Prayer, the model prayer. And uh, if you remember, he says, uh, uh, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive those who are debtors against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. And so Jesus stopped there, but I think that he could tell on the faces of the people he was talking to. He says, you know, I think there needs to be a point that needs to be elaborated upon. Of all those things that he talked about, he then goes on and explains forgiving others. And all that model prayer, he explains forgiving others. Why? Because we need it to be explained. You mean I've got to forgive someone? And Jesus says, yeah. And then he goes on and says, the linchpin of your walk with God, of your relationship with God even, is that that you forgive others. And that seems kind of strong to say that if we don't forgive others, that God does not forgive us. How can that be? I hope that that will be better explained to you as we go on. But just know, Jesus himself explained it and did kind of a part two on that. We're going to do the same in looking at this example. Now, as we looked last week, as we saw this beautiful picture of a reconciliation or a union of the brothers, we saw uh, some two important lessons about forgiveness. And that first one was this. Forgiveness will see the nature of the act. What we learn from Joseph's example is that he did not excuse the actions of his brothers and call it something other than what it was. He called it evil. You got that in chapter 50? He says, you did this evil act against me. Our temptation and forgiveness, as we looked at last week, is to say, you know what? I'm going to pretend it didn't happen. It's going, I'm going to ignore it or I'm going to excuse it. Uh, someone says, you know, brings it up to us, so well, it's no big deal. And you know it is a big deal. 
Uh, you say, well, you know, they just they didn't know what they're doing. Maybe they knew good and well what they're doing. Forgiveness is not excusing and is not ignoring. It is calling sin what it is. And so Joseph did that. He sees the nature of the act. But also a very important lesson is that forgiveness will see God as bigger than the act. That this sin that someone has done against you has not interrupted God's plan. That God can take that sin and work it for his good. It has not thwarted God and his working in your life and to use you for his purposes of glorifying him and for his good. And so Joseph came to see that and understand that. He says, you did this evil against me, but God used it for good. You need to come to understand that in your own life. It is here that you can worship God and call him what he is, that he is God over sin and that he has control and sovereignty over the sins of others. Here you can worship God. You say, but God, you know what? All I've got is bitterness and sin or bitterness and hatred toward this person. And if that's all you got, then that's what you offer up to God. You say, God, I've got bitterness and hatred. You asked me to give my life to you. That's what I've got. God says, I'll take it. The point is, whatever's in your hands, you offer up to the Lord. And it is, it is for those of you who have been sinned against, it's just a matter of time when we're all in that camp, we have a platform that we can now worship God in that we could not do before. It is in that sin and grievous act against us that we can now trust God with something that we could not do before. So we see God as bigger than the act itself. But we're going to go on and learn two more lessons. But before I do, let me take a a time out a little bit to learn and talk about what forgiveness is and what forgiveness is not. All right. Uh, There has been an old writer by the name of Thomas Watson who kind of compiled some scriptures uh, for us and told us, all right, this is what forgiveness is based on scripture. Let me read to you what he had to say. Based on Romans 12, 19, which says this. Never take your own revenge, beloved, but leave room for the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. From that we'll learn that forgiveness resists thoughts of revenge. On 1 Thessalonians 5.15, which says, See that no one repays another with evil for evil. Then we learn that forgiveness does not seek to do them mischief. Luke 6.28 says, Bless those who curse you tells us that forgiveness wishes well on that person. Proverbs 24, 17, Do not rejoice when your enemy falls, and do not let your heart be glad when he, strumble, when he stumbles. Forgiveness will grieve at the calamities of the enemy. Matthew chapter 5, verse 44, But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Forgiveness will pray for the offender, will pray for the enemy. Romans 12, 18, if possible, so far as depends on you, be at peace with all men. So forgiveness will seek reconciliation with the enemy. Does not mean that reconciliation will happen, but it will seek reconciliation. Notice Romans says, if possible, that will be dependent on the repentance of the other person. Exodus 23, 4, if you meet your enemy's ox or his donkey wandering away, you shall return it to him. Forgiveness will be always willing to come to the relief of the enemy. So let me state these again. 
forgiveness, what will it do in your heart? Forgiveness will do this in your heart. It will make it so you will resist revengeance, a vengeance. It will make it so you will return, you will not return evil for evil, that you will wish them well, that you will grieve their calamities, that you will pray for their welfare, that you will seek reconciliation as far as it depends on you, and you will come to their aid in distress. Now, let me just state a few words of what forgiveness is not. As I stated earlier, forgiveness is not passing over the sin. Pretending like it didn't exist and going on your merry way. In fact, Romans chapter 3 uh, has a word for this. It's one, in fact, the only phrase in this passage in Romans chapter 3 where it refers to sin being passed over by God. Let me read it to you. Romans 3.23, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And are justified by his grace as a gift. The redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to receive by faith. This was to show God's righteousness. Now listen to this part. Because in his divine forbearance he had passed over former sins. What he's saying. In the Old Testament that was God's method. Was passing over the sins. So that he could go and point to Jesus Christ. The Old Testament saints would, would uh, slaughter the animals and use the blood as a way of pointing to the fact that God is passing over the sin. But one day redemption would be made, a sacrifice, a price would be paid for the sin. He's passing over it for a little while until it would be satisfied. God's wrath would be satisfied for that sin and forgiveness would be offered. But we don't pass over sin. We don't excuse sin. And ourselves... Are in others. Alright. We don't belittle sin. And say well that's just kind of a personality quirk of this, this individual. We call it what it is. But we forgive sin. Forgiveness. Also let me say this. It's not an absence of anger. Over the sin. Some of you may be dealing with anger. About this sin. Let me just state. That it is. A normal thing to be angry over sin. I would state that you do that for yourself, do you not? When you sin, you realize you've done wrong. Are you not angry over your sin? And it's probably because you love yourself. It is for that reason that you're angry over your sin. You want yourself to be lived better than this. And therefore you're angry over it. You do the same for your children. You're angry when they sin and it is for the reason that you love them that you're angry over their sin. So, there is still a love for the sinner but an anger over the sin. Let me share with you what else forgiveness is not. Forgiveness is not the absence of consequence of that sin. Sometimes we think to ourselves, if I forgive that person, then that means they will not get justice. Now, that's totally irrelevant. In fact, I think that in your own life, if you find yourself as a believer sinning and you are doing a crime against society, it is a legal crime, you as a believer ought to go before the the authority system and confess your sin, and face the consequences of your sin as a believer in Jesus Christ. If that's something we do for ourselves, we ought also seek that for others. That there is a consequence that is to be paid 
for their sin. We do that with their own children. At least I hope we do that when they do a, a wrong, we will, though loving them, though we forgive them, we will make sure they endure the consequences uh, of that of that lesson, of that sin. The Bible says this in Hebrews chapter 12, that it is God's role that he does with us, that because he loves us, he corrects us and chastens us. And so I just want to tell you what it's not. When you say, well, you know, pastor, if you're still seeking the consequences of the sin, if there's still anger of the sin, what's the difference? In fact, I think I might be more zealous for them to have consequences if I don't forgive them. I might be better at that. Well, you know, for those of us who have ever been spanked by angry parents, we understand that. Uh, yeah, sometimes they're really zealous in doing it. Uh, but it's not necessarily an act of love when they do it out of anger. Though the actions are the same and that you seek consequences for the sin, the condition of your heart makes a world of difference. That's what God is looking at. Because as your heart holds on to the bitterness, it shifts your heart further away from the Lord. How you carry out the consequences will determine whether or not you're walking in fellowship with God or not. It will turn, determine whether you will remain in bitterness for the rest of your life or not. You need to understand something. That if you are not forgiving someone, you are making a trade. You are saying to God, God, I don't want to grow in further intimacy with you because your bitterness will keep you from further intimacy and walking with God. And so you're making a trade. God, I would rather hold on to my grudge. I would rather hold on to my resentment than walk further with you in my relationship with you. That's the trade you're going to make when you don't forgive someone. Now, that being said, we have a greater understanding a little bit about forgiveness. Let me give you two other important principles. Forgiveness will see the nature of the act. Forgiveness will see God as bigger than the act. But also, forgiveness will see God as the judge of that act. Forgiveness will see God as the judge of that. You notice that in... in, uh, Joseph's reply, I mean, for 15 years now, uh, until the first expression of forgiveness and, and Jacob's death, the guys, the brothers, they're not mourning Jacob's death. They're wondering whether or not Joseph's going to get us. Why do you think they were thinking that? Because that's what they would have done. You remember when they wanted to get Joseph? They waited until daddy wasn't around. When daddy wasn't around, that's when they carried out their heart's desire and they sold him into slavery. And they're thinking, that's how we did. That's how Joseph's going to do. What they don't understand is Joseph is operating in a totally different realm than they. He's not giving forgiveness because of daddy, Jacob. He's giving forgiveness because of the heavenly father. And the heavenly father has not died. And the truths are still the same, regardless of whether or not the earthly father lives and dies. And so, what's the, what's the truth that Joseph is holding on to? Well, you see that right there as we read verse uh, chapter 50, verse 19 and 20. Notice what he says when the question comes. I think it's telling that he cries about this once again. This is the compassion, the heart that Joseph has. Do not fear, for I am I and the place of God. He says, I'm not taking that place. This thing of judging someone else, that belongs only to God. Isn't it interesting the book of Genesis starts in Genesis 3 with Adam and Eve wanting the place of God, taking the place of God, and then it ends in the, in the last chapter of the book with Joseph saying, I'm not God, and I'm not going to take his place. I will not 
execute vengeance. This is why I say that you can worship God in a whole new way when you've been offended. In a way that, that you have never asked for, but indeed it's a whole new way. You are saying once more, I will not be the judge, God will be. And that's a good thing. Because he is a better judge than what you and I could ever be. This is this speaks to us in the book of Romans, uh, where I've already read where vengeance uh, belongs to God. And that's repeated over and over again, but especially in Romans chapter 12, where we see that. Now, why is this a good thing that God is judged and I'm not? Because only God knows the thoughts and intents of your heart. The thoughts and intents of your heart. It's amazing. I, I, I found in my own life, my family and others, that I will see them do something. And I'll get offended. And I'll get angry. And I'll start thinking about it. And the more I think about what they did and the implications of their actions and their attitude, the angrier I get. You know, I kind of work myself up in a ladder. I get all, you know, and I'm just waiting. I'm waiting. Just one thing. It'll finally release me. And I'm going to say, you know what? I've been building up. I've been thinking these things. Let me tell you what I think. I'm like, what are you talking about? <laughs> you know good and well what I'm talking about. No, I don't know what you're talking about. You mean, when, when you did this, you didn't, you didn't think this? No, this is the reason why I was doing this action. <laughs> and here I am looking like a buffoon because I have got all worked up over something that I assumed about their intentions. Here's... A word you need to know. God and God alone knows the intentions and motivations of an individual. But we'll come up and say, this person, they are intending harm. This, this is what they're thinking. This motivation. It's a, it's a wonder to me. I'm like, you, do you know that? How do you know that? Here I am thinking that only God knew the thoughts of a person's heart. I'm going to adjust my theology. But, you know, that's, that's how we, we deal with life, is it not? And so God was the best judge. I, I, I'm a guy, which means that I can be grossly insensitive sometimes. You know, I, I can walk through life, and I'm just kind of tracked on, doing my thing. And someone will come up to me and say, you offended me. Really? What, <laughs> I, what did I do? And they'll explain. How I offended them. And there have been some times I have been av- absolutely clueless. Insensitive. But they have had not just a few moments, but many moments of dwelling what I've done. And they've been wrestling with God about it. I haven't been wrestling at all with God about it. You know? Which makes it even worse. Because <laughs> then they get mad because I hadn't thought about it. You know? But that's just how life is. People can be that way. Because they may not have the intention that you have assumed. It is good that God is the best judge. He knows the thoughts and intents of the heart. And not only does he know the thoughts and intents of the heart, he knows what's needed to make that wrong right. If I was to call the shots and, and have executions and vengeance for injustices, I would be selfish in how I would do it. And I would, uh, would be overkill it or underkill it because I don't know the heinous act, the true nature of what their action is because I'm not good. I'm selfish. I'm not qualified. And you're not either to be the judge. 
So forgiveness sees God as the judge, and therefore we worship God. And here's one of the worst fears we have. What if this person, I don't want to share the gospel with this person, because what if this person confesses their sins and repents and asks God to forgive them of their sins? I'm not sure I can deal with God forgiving them of their sins. That's the problem. When we think through this, which shows that we need to get to the next point. What's the next one? And I, I had to break some rules here. Because this next point's not in the text of Genesis 50, 45. But it is all over in the Bible in regards to forgiveness. So I'm being a little topical here. Forgiveness will see self as needing forgiveness. Forgiveness will see self as needing forgiveness. In Matthew 18, Peter comes up and asks Jesus, well, how many times do I need to forgive someone? Pharisees, maybe maybe, uh, two or three times. I'm going to double that and say seven. I'm going to add one. I'm being generous. Jesus says, no, not seven. How about maybe 70 times seven? You're going to be generous with your forgiveness. And so he goes on and tells a story of, of a, a person in debt coming up to the master. He was hopelessly in debt, over a million dollars in debt, just hopeless and, and ever repaying that. And the, the master says, you know what, I, I'm feeling good, I'm forgiveness, I'm going to forgive you of all your debt. You owe me nothing. And that man, forgiven man, walks out and finds someone who owes him about three months' salary. Takes him by the neck and says, Pay me everything you owe or you're thrown in prison. The original master found out about that. Said, you cruel, heartless man, and throws him in prison. The story that Jesus is saying is, you need to understand how much you've been forgiven. And it's out of that that you forgive someone else. Let me tell you what I learned when someone stole my weed eater. As I told you, I was trying to figure out and counsel myself on how to deal with this individual, whoever it was. And so I was thinking, you know, well, you know, I need to consider my own sin. I thought, well, I thought about that and I got angry still. I've never stolen anybody's weed eater. I've never gone into their their house and stolen anything. And I got even more angry That's not me. How can someone do this? And then I I heard a kind of subtle voice in my heart, scripture, saying, Well, have you stolen anything from God? I went to the book of Malachi. Malachi says, Well, if you are not tithing, you're stealing from God. If you're not giving the 10%, you're stealing from God. I said, Well, Lord. You know that I have always done that all my life, that even as a little boy, even in college, that you taught me these things, and that I've been doing these things. And I got angrier still. But then, <laughs> oh, another subtle voice, and I say subtle, it was extremely loud in my heart. I said, well, what about the glory of God? They were stolen God's glory. I thought, you know, and as I read in Scripture, God cares more about the glory. 
That's why he, he wants us to offer up money as, as the way to say that we glorify God, that he's greater than all that I have. And I said, you, oh, Lord, you know how many times I've stolen your glory. I saw what was yours and I wanted it mine. And it is ongoing temptation. Well, I take the credit. God, forgive me. And it's amazing when, when God started speaking to my heart and I became conscious of how I've stolen the glory from God. I was so busy asking God to forgive me of my sin that it wasn't hard at all to forgive someone that stole me of my weed eater. <laughs> I had the right perspective. Forgiveness will see ourselves as needing the forgiveness. It is at this point where we realize that, see, here's the thing about unforgiveness, that as long as we're not forgiving someone, we will take a morally superior view of that person. We're so busy thinking about how wrong they are and how right we are that we forget how guilty we are before God. You notice those words, those things I was saying? Morally, I'm not guilty of, of stealing money. I'm not guilty of stealing property from someone else and and i was looking good and here's the thing for anyone who comes to walk with jesus christ the very first thing that jesus says blessed are those who are bankrupt in spirit as long as we're not forgiving someone else we don't see our own bankrupt nature before god and we can't walk with the lord because we're too full of ourselves exalting ourselves in light of someone else's worst sin Forgiveness will see ourselves as needing forgiveness. But Joseph never expresses that. Jesus does. And I believe undoubtedly it could have been part of what Joseph was going through as he was learning how to forgive his brothers. Now, let me just share with you some important actions that we do get from Genesis 49 and 50 and how forgiveness was handled. Forgiveness was granted privately. We talked last week how Joseph never told Potiphar, or never told Pharaoh about the sins that his brothers committed. And it was, and that was revealed in how Pharaoh was excited in seeing the brothers. He didn't have to deal with this past sin that the brothers committed against Joseph. Even when Joseph was in prison and talking to Baker and Butler, he, he talked about how he was unjustly put in prison, but he never stated who did it. And it was only after sending out the servants and all the household, and it was just Joseph and the brothers, that he brought up the fact that they were the ones who sold him into slavery. He didn't tell his, his brothers to go tell daddy what you did. He just told them, tell him I'm alive. Tell him to come. Tell him I'm going to take care of him. I believe that Joseph's brothers did tell Jacob, but it wasn't at the command of Joseph. That there was a private nature in dealing with this sin. And so that when forgiveness was given, it was done in a small private nature in the realm of the offense. Why is that important? I talked last time that when you start telling others, it is our way of seeking vengeance. We want them to be condemned in the court of public opinion. We want someone to agree with us that someone was a rotten, no good person and what they did. But as we do that, we break the bridges of reconciliation and become so much harder to reconcile. 
I, I think that kind of hit with some of us. And so I want to reiterate that and give you some scriptures that go with that so you'll know. I'm not just making things up here. Yes, Joseph did that, but let me share with you some other words. Proverbs chapter 10, verse 12. Hatred stirs up strife, but love covers all transgressions. Proverbs 10, 12. Another one, Proverbs 12, verse 16. A fool's vexation is known at once, but a prudent man conceals dishonor. Is that, you want to be a fool? As soon as you're frustrated and vexed, go find the nearest person and tell them. Congratulations. According to Proverbs, we're fools. But a prudent man will conceal dishonor. Proverbs 17, 9. He who covers a transgression seeks love. But he who repeats a matter separates intimate friends. Matthew 18, 15. If your brother sins, go and reprove him in private. If he listens to you, you have won your brother. Based on these scriptures and the example of Joseph, when you are quick to tell others about the unjust, the, the unjust act someone's did to you, at best, you're a fool. At worst, you're a gossip. You get that? It exasperates the problem. Now, what else do we know here? Looking at Joseph's example, we learn also that biblical forgiveness must be given freely and unconditionally. You notice in Genesis 50, the brothers are coming up to him. They said, guys, Joseph will be your slaves for the rest of our lives. And they, and they offer that price again once more. And Joseph says, no, you don't have to do that. You're not bearing the price of your sin. I am bearing the price of your sin. I dealt with being in prison. I'm not putting this on you. And so he gives it to them freely. As God himself gives it to us freely. Something else, as we learn in Joseph, biblical forgiveness is not temporary, but permanent. It's not temporary, but permanent. Fifteen years pass, the guys bring it up again. Joseph says, you know what? It's still true. I'm not changing my mind because Jacob being alive or dead, daddy being alive or dead does not change my forgiveness. It is a permanent act that we do. Now, does that mean you do it once and you never have to deal with it again? No. It may mean that for the rest of your life, you have to deal with it daily to forgive someone. You know, go back to that Lord's Prayer in Matthew chapter 6, the model prayer. So, Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I would suggest to you that is a daily request. All right? Then says, give us this day our daily bread. We understand that. Forgive us our debts. I think that's a daily request. As we forgive those who are debtors against us. That too is also a daily prayer that we may pray. So when it comes up and, and lunges up in our heart again. With whatever thing that provokes that, that emotional response. Of hatred toward this person. We will once again reiterate the same truths that we once heard before. That God, you're bigger than that sin. Yes, that is a sin. But you're bigger than that sin. You can do something with this sin. And by the way, you are the judge of the sin. I'm not God. You're God. And I will once again proclaim you as Lord and King over all. And Lord, 
you know you've forgiven me so much more. So yes, today, again, I forgive this individual. Free me to love them, to be kind. And so this is something we continually do. Jeremiah 31 verse 34 says this, For I will forgive their iniquity and their sins I will remember no more. Now God does something unique. He's got the ability to remember no more our sins. Friends, you and I can't do that. Forgiveness does not mean forgetting. In fact, I think it's more powerful that you don't forget. It is a sin. It is a heinous sin. But when you forget, you're not able to worship God in that way anymore. But when you can forgive, you are once again worshiping God by forgiving. And so it it is something that allows us to worship Him. Now, biblical forgiveness will seek the correction and the restoration of the offender. It will continually seek that work. It isn't to say that it is all dependent on you. Because the repentance of the offender is key. But you will seek it and desire it. Corey Tim Boone has been a powerful illustration of forgiveness, reconciliation. Those of you who know the story, she was uh, in 1939 caught up in the affairs of the world. World War II as, as Germany came in and took over Holland. She was a believer, a 47-year-old believer in 1939. Lived with her, with her father, a widower, an 82-year-old, and her elder sister, uh, Betsy. As the war went on, it became clear that the Jews were being targeted, missing, attacked. And so, as believers, they decided it was upon them to take care of their Jewish friends, and they did so. But it was in 1944 that their hideout was discovered as she's written in her book, The Hiding Place, and in the movie. And there they were arrested. Her father died just a few days, within 10 days of the arrest. But her and her sister were taken to a concentration camp, taken the Dutch town of Voigt, and then several months later, in September 1944, by train to Ravensbrück. That's where they were separated out, That's where they had to pile all their belongings in the center of the room. That's where they had to take off every bit of their clothing and add it to the pile. She was able to smuggle in her Bible and a bottle of vitamin pills by coming in dressed into that room. And so there they had to march, walk under bright lights, past the scrutiny of dozens of guards, and toward the shower room. And there they stayed many, many months. And the concentration camp. But apparently for no reason, one day she got her release. It was New Year's Day in 1945. She went out. Kept her faith. In fact, did Bible studies during that time. With her and her sister. And there, afterwards, she became an evangelist and teaching in the churches. About the years of life of guilt. And pain and forgiveness. But it was in a church service in Munich that all that was tested. While she was there in the church service, she looked out and saw the former SS man who stood guard at the shower room door. And and the first one helping them process 
uh, them into the Ravensbrook there. It was the first one of the actual jailers that she had ever seen since that time. And suddenly, as she saw his face, it all came back to her. The room full of mocking men, the heaps of clothing, her sister's pain-blanched face. After the message, he came up to her, said this, beaming, bowing, how grateful I am for your message, Fraulein, to think that, as you say, He has washed my sins away. And instead of joy, it was anger that washes in her heart then. His hand was thrust out to shake mine, and I, who preached so often to the people the need to forgive, kept my hand at my side. Even as the angry, vengeful thoughts bowled through me, I saw the sin of them. Jesus Christ had died for this man. Was I going to ask for more? Lord Jesus, I prayed. Forgive me. Help me to forgive him. I tried to smile. I struggled to raise my hand. I could not. I felt nothing. Not the slightest spark of warmth or charity. And so again, I breathed a silent prayer. Jesus, I cannot forgive him. Give me your forgiveness. As I took his hand, the most incredible thing happened. From my shoulder, along my arm, and through my hand, a current seemed to pass from me to him, while into my heart sprang a love for the stranger that almost overwhelmed me. And so I discovered that it's not on our forgiveness anymore, that on our goodness, that the world's healing hinges, but on his. When he tells us to love our enemies... He gives us, along with the command, the love itself. And so we glorify God. Any person can live life not forgiving someone. Anybody can do that. But God wants himself to be glorified by you doing something that nobody can do unless God does it. And that is forgive that person. You're not letting them off the hook. You're letting them be on God's hook. And if God so chooses to forgive them because they confess their sins, then that heinous sin, that hatred, must go on the one that God designates. Jesus Christ, who knew no sin, became sin. That betrayal, that abandonment, that rape, that attack... Jesus became. And we say, but God, that's not fair. I can't hate Jesus. That's the point. That's the point. Give your hate to Jesus. And let him give you his love and forgiveness. Because he raised his hand to you. Let's pray.